Turn with me in your Bibles this Lord's Day to Psalm 39. Psalm 39, verses 4 through 7. Where we read these words Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days what it is that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as in hand breath, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in Thee. Dear ones, just as reflection upon all the major events that you will encounter in your life can only help you to better prepare yourselves for those events that are to come. Whether they be events that are filled with sorrow and pain and heartache. Whether they are events that are filled with joy and gladness. So a serious reflection upon your own death and the death of your loved ones will also help you better to prepare for that appointed time. Men, if you knew you were going to lose your job next month, wouldn't you like to have that much time to prepare for how you're going to provide for yourself and your family? Ladies, if you knew you were going to have to move from the house where you are presently living to a much, much smaller house where you have to try and figure out where am I going to put everything, wouldn't you like to have the time in order to know how to downsize? If even things of temporal consequences, such as an earthly move from one location to another, are wisely prepared for, by serious reflection and planning on our parts, how much more death, which itself has eternal consequences, and is a move from this life to another life, is more wisely prepared for by careful and thoughtful and serious reflection and meditation rather than it coming upon us without any serious thought. It is said concerning the emperors of Constantinople that upon the day of their coronation there was brought before them or they were brought to various types of headstones over graves in order to show them and to demonstrate to them their own mortality and their own weakness of the flesh. 
to see their own death is indeed a very humbling event to the vain pride and supposed strength of even the greatest of rulers. And I would submit to you, dear ones, we have become so desensitized to death in our day and age by the images of it that are brought into our homes via television, video games, the internet, newspapers, magazines, and music. The seriousness of death becomes almost fictionalized as we see it and hear of it continuously in these various places in the media. And yet when we watch and we are standing near a loved one who is breathing one moment and the next moment they are no longer breathing, the seriousness of death, the finality of death, is brought home in a way that it could never have been brought home to us. Dear ones, preparing for our death and preparing for the death of our loved ones does not mean we cannot enjoy the life that God gives to us here upon the earth presently. I would even submit to the contrary, serious reflection upon our death and upon the death of our loved ones will actually help us to enjoy Christ, to enjoy our families, to enjoy all of the gifts that God has blessed us with to even a greater degree. Dear ones, to the degree that Christ consciously becomes your life, to that same degree you will know a joy in this life that no man can take from you. For me to live is Christ. But Paul goes on to say, to die is gain. Therefore, dear ones, the Christian does not lose anything in death. But to the contrary, the Christian gains everything in death. This Lord's Day, let us consider together the words of David as found in Psalm 39, verses 4 through 7, wherein he prays for knowledge concerning these matters related to his own death. First of all, he prays concerning the certainty of death. Second, the nearness of death. Thirdly, the weakness of man. And fourthly, the hope of man. Let us consider then, first of all, the certainty of death. David prays, Lord, make me to know mine end. In the previous chapter, Psalm 38, and moving into Psalm 39, many commentators have seen that Psalm 38 provides somewhat of a backdrop to what is going on in David's mind in Psalm 39. It appears in, verse, in Psalm 39, based upon what I've just said, that David wrestles with the ascendancy of wicked traitors to high and lofty places. Perhaps it was in his own mind his son Absalom who had betrayed him, or his close friend 
Ahithophel that was in view. David struggles with why the Lord allows such wicked traitors to prosper. Listen to what he says in Psalm 38, verses 11 and 12. My lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore, and my kinsmen stand afar off. They also that seek after my life lay snares for me, and they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things and imagine deceits all the day long. When we feel abandoned and deserted by those who are close to us, when we feel all alone, we are often cast into this kind of mindset where we will contemplate even death our own death, not committing suicide, but we will contemplate our own end and the whole meaning of life. It causes us to really take life very seriously when we find ourselves in these situations. In Psalm 39, verses 1 and 2, David determines to guard his mouth in silence so that he does not murmur or speak against God's providence. Dear ones, this is indeed, I would submit to you, a most wise course of action when we're in times like this that we do not give way to speaking against God or speaking against his providence his most wise course of action which he has brought into our lives which we may not understand which we can't figure out how in the world this could possibly work for the glory of God and for the good of his church it is at those times that we must put our hands over our mouths that we do not speak against God's providence. Consider the influence, dear ones, that your own words have on on others, either for good or for evil. You remember the, the ten spies that were sent out to spy out the land and the reports that were brought back. Two of them gave a good report, a favorable report, a trustworthy report, saying God has given to us the land. He will, He has promised it. Let's go forth and take the land. It is ours. They were depending upon the promises of God, Joshua and Caleb. The other spies, the other spies, and I believe there were 12 altogether, there were 10 that were not faithful. Two were the ten gave an unfavorable report. Ten said, we're like grasshoppers before these people. They're giants. The walls of their cities are huge. We cannot possibly overcome them and overtake them. And it was on the basis of this testimony in effect denying and disbelieving the promises of God and the commandment of God to go therefore forth and take the land that led the people as a whole to turn their backs upon the Lord. Oh, the power of words. Dear ones, when we find ourselves in situations, let us, situations like David is speaking here of, let us put our hands over our mouths and not either speak against God or find ourselves in sinfully criticizing others. 
Rather, let us have this prayer upon our lips, another prayer of David from Psalm 1914. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. David says in Psalm 39.3 that there's like a passionate fire that's burning within him. These thoughts, they're churning within him. There's turmoil. He wants to give vent to them in some way. And finally, the venting, as it were, the churning gives way, thank God, to prayer. Gives way to prayer to God. Which we find in Psalm 39.4 and what follows. Now David prays first, dear ones, that the Lord would cause him to understand, reflect upon, and realize in his day-to-day experience the certainty of his own death. Lord, make me to know mine end. Psalm 39.4 David does not plead with God, Lord, make me to know mine end, because he doubts that he's going to die. That's not the reason. Nor is David asking the Lord to give him specific revelation concerning the precise number of days he has yet to live upon the earth. Although God has specifically determined the precise number of days that each of us will live upon the earth. David's not praying that God would reveal to him exactly how long he will live. David saw great benefit in seriously considering and contemplating a death that was certain to befall him at God's own appointed time. Now when we consider death, dear ones, there is a threefold death that is the result of man's fall. There is spiritual death, which is the separation of man from God due to sin. There is physical death, which is the separation of the spirit from the body. And there is eternal death, which is eternal separation from God in hell. The Christian is graciously delivered altogether from both spiritual and physical death. But the Christian will yet experience physical death. He is separated from spiritual and eternal death, but he will yet experience physical death. He will not experience physical death as a curse, as an act of judgment and punishment upon him, for that has already been removed in Jesus Christ. The curse has been satisfied in Jesus Christ. But like illness and poverty and various types of suffering that come to us, In this life, the trials in this life, the Lord uses death as a means of sanctification in the life of the believer. In fact, dear ones, for the Christian, physical death actually becomes merely the door that ushers us into everlasting life in heaven. Thus, physical death is that to which David here refers in Psalm 39.4 not to his not to spiritual death nor to eternal death but physical death. It's important to note 
beloved, that physical death is divinely appointed for all men, whether male or female, whether prince or pauper, whether young or old, whether rich or poor, whether married or single, whether Christian or non-Christian. Men may be late for appointments here upon the earth. Men may forget about certain appointments that they have made here upon the earth. They may even refuse to keep certain appointments that they have made here upon the earth and in this life. But there is one appointment for which no man, woman, or child will be late, will forget, or can refuse to keep. And that is death. Not only is this appointment with death the universal experience of all people, but it is also the explicit testimony of God in His Word, as we see in Hebrews 9.27, where it says, As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. To those who have not embraced the Lord Jesus Christ as their only hope of eternal salvation. Death is the end of earthly pleasure and the beginning of everlasting suffering. To those who have received Christ and His free offer of forgiveness and of everlasting life, death is the end of earthly sorrows and the beginning of eternal joys. Well, what benefit is there in becoming familiar with the certainty of our own death and the certainty of the death of our loved ones? And not just having just a, a, a general knowledge that this is going to happen, but realizing in a particular way, as David says here, this is going to happen to me. Lord, make me to know my end. My end. Well, first of all, I would suggest first benefit is because our death is certain, we should humble ourselves. It brings about humility before God when we realize our own mortality. When we realize that He is the everlasting God and we are but a flesh, that He remains forever, but this flesh is corruptible and it will perish. It casts us upon Him. It removes us from our pride of life to realize our own mortality. And we need that constant nudge. We need that constant movement in our mind by the Spirit of God that we are but flesh. That we are dust. That we are here today and gone tomorrow. A second benefit because our death is certain, we should shake ourselves from our own hypocrisy and merely going through the motions of faith and worship. For there is coming a time, dear ones, when all facades and acting the part of, of a Christian will fade away. Showtime will be over. And the reality behind what we have said and done will be manifest. 
And we will either enjoy the heavenly blessings of a living faith in Jesus Christ or suffer the hellish curse of a dead faith which trusted in our own good works to save us. A third benefit. Because our death is certain, we should more seriously consider what God would have us to do with our lives presently in our present vocations or in our future vocations. And in so doing, we ought not only to consider our gifts and desires, though those are important, we ought not only to consider the matter of financial compensation that we receive, though that is important, but I would submit we must also consider the importance of how we can most effectively promote the kingdom of God through our life and through our calling in life. A fourth benefit. Because our death is certain, we should realize that not only do we need life through Christ, but others around us need life in Jesus Christ as well. In fact, all men will perish if they do not eat by faith of the bread of life They will perish. They will die, not merely physically, but eternally. We should see, dear ones, the eternal significance, therefore, of pressing home to our children, our dear children that God has given to us, their need of Jesus Christ. We should, in light of this truth, of the certainty of death, find ourselves earnestly pleading with God, praying for God to draw our children to Himself, to help us in the way we live before them, to set a godly example, how we relate to our spouses, should not be leading them away from Christ, but drawing them to Jesus Christ. spending, dear ones, more and more time with them in ways that will positively affect their their spiritual well-being rather than merely their earthly pleasure. Dear ones, as we become acquainted with the certainty of death in our lives, our daily lives, we'll also become more interested in bringing others, desiring others, praying for others to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as well. We will weep for the lost who are perishing. We will pray for faithful ministers. We will give of our resources to the proclamation of the gospel through preaching and the distribution of good literature and the establishment of faithful, reformed, and covenanted churches. Second main point. Another thing concerning which David prays is the nearness of death. David prays, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days what it is. The measure of my days. Here David prays that the Lord would ever place before him the realization of the shortness and the brevity of this earthly life as well. 
Not only ought we to contemplate how certain our death is, but also how near our own death is. For it is one thing to know that we will certainly die at God's appointed time, but it's another thing to think of death as being near. For example, people in general oftentimes simply think of death as, again, I think most people who would ever think seriously about it would say, yes, you know, death is going to happen. I'm going to die. I don't know that anyone seriously thinks that, that in this life they're going to never, never die. But they may simply have the attitude you know, I'm going to live to be 75, 85, 95, 100 years old. And that's a long ways off. And so in their minds, death is, is, is ages away. It's not near to them. David prays, he wanted to know the measure of his days, what it was. Consider the following ways that the shortness of life and the nearness of death is portrayed in the scripture. For example, in Psalm 39.5, life is compared to a hand breath. Basically, the, the space from one tip of your pinky to the tip of your, your, your thumb, a hand breath, in comparison to much larger uh, measurements. It's a very, very short measurement. In Psalm 39, or I'm sorry, Psalm 90, verse 5, death, or I should say life, is compared to sleeping through the night. I don't think that most of us, as we go to bed and wake up in the morning, say, wow, that took a long time. No, it took a very short time. In Psalm 90, verse 6, life is compared to grass that comes up but is then scorched by the sun and perishes and withers away. In Psalm 90, verse 9, life is compared to a tale or story that we tell. How long does it take you to tell a story about something that happened to you this week? Not very long at all. In James 4.14, life is compared to a vapor, a mist. It's out there, the sun comes out, and it's gone. It's short. It's brief. So, God teaches in His Word in using all kinds of illustrations. And I can remember when 55 years old seemed ancient. Well, I'm here to tell you today that it doesn't seem so ancient to me anymore. And it doesn't seem so far away any longer. And I'm sure I'll say the same thing about 60 or 70 years old the closer I get to that age as well. Dear ones, we have no guarantee from God that we will even live to a ripe old age. We have no guarantee from God. People die in the prime of life and in the prime of health all of the time. 
People die unexpectedly every moment of the day. They weren't planning on it. They weren't preparing for it. It happened. It was God's appointed time. It happens all of the time. Well, this truth ought not to cause us to press the panic button, for it is God our Father who has indeed ordained our days, the precise number of days that we shall live for his glory and for our own good. But this truth, dear ones, of what of which I am now speaking, this truth ought to bring the Christian out of fantasy land and back to reality if he or she has allowed the cares and the pleasures of this life to blur his or her spiritual vision. What benefit, dear ones, is there in becoming familiar with the nearness of our own death and the nearness of the death of our loved ones? I know that it's very painful to think about your wife or your husband dying. But if, they, if God has so ordained it that they precede you, it's going to happen. You may precede them. But one way or the other, it's going to happen. Sooner or later, it's going to happen. Sometimes even children precede parents. Many times children precede parents. We cannot count on the fact that it's going to happen as we want it to happen or hope that it happens. God knows what's best for us, for his church, and what will glorify him the most. There was although a realization of the certainty of our own death and the death of our loved ones will surely help us to look at the big picture in making certain decisions in our lives. I would suggest to you that a realization of the nearness of our own death and the death of our loved ones will surely help us to see the smaller picture much more clearly every day, moment by moment. It will help us to see, dear ones, the urgency to live each moment to the Lord for the good of those that we love around us. Because we have no guarantee that we will be alive tomorrow, we cannot, dear ones, waste the time, the talents, and the resources that God has given to us. We can enjoy them to God's glory, but we cannot waste them. We must rather redeem everything in our life for Christ's use. Time, talents, resources. Today you may not see yourself possessing any great talents to be used in Christ's kingdom. But the Lord says that he has blessed each and every one of you with certain gifts and abilities to be used in his kingdom to glorify him. This is taught in the parable of the talents where God, where the master distributed to his servants different numbers of of talents, a monetary, uh, it was a monetary measurement. And he gave to each a different amount of money, if you will, to use, to prosper, and to benefit the master by. It was 
it was the one who was given the one talent that the Lord does great does take great pains to rebuke, to correct, and to judge. Not because he lost the talent that was given to him, but because he didn't use the talent that was given to him. He hid it and buried it. What are you using every day to glorify God thereby? One thing we all have, dear ones, the same quantity of is 24 hours in each day. Now we may, in various ways, be busy with occupations and callings in ways that others don't share, but we all do have 24 hours each day in which to glorify God and to enjoy Him and to bless others. Do you give each day to the Lord in prayer at the outset and use it for His glory? Or does your day just basically happen? Does it just basically fall out? The Lord calls us to give each day unto Him. It will simply happen, dear ones, if you do not prepare, if you do not anticipate, if you do not look at that day as a precious gift that God has given to you because you don't know whether you'll have another one after it to use it for the glory of God. I want to say something at this point to the children and the young people in our congregation. Listen to what the wisest mere man, certainly the Lord Jesus Christ was more wise than Solomon, but the wisest mere man, one who was simply born, conceived and born by natural generation, the wisest one who ever lived, says to you, this is what he says to you. Listen closely in Ecclesiastes 12.1. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the day, evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Remember now, dear young people and children, thy Creator in the days of thy youth. Don't wait to make your life count for the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now, even you children and you young people can make your lives count for Jesus Christ. You don't have to wait to become an adult. God has given you a calling right now in, in, in your schoolwork. He has given you the grace if you trust in Christ alone to obey Him and to obey your parents and to honor them. Make your life count now. Begin now. Become a mighty warrior for Christ while you are yet young like David. And you will find that when it is time for you to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil for you will know that the Lord will be with you to comfort you all the days of your life. The nearness of our own death should cause us, dear ones, to appreciate every single blessing we receive from God, whether it's our family, the measure of health that we enjoy, 
our clothing, our food, our shelter, the ability to see, to hear, to walk, to talk, to think. All of the spiritual blessings that God has given to us. We should learn to be content with whatever God has blessed us with and to take nothing in this life for granted. We should use our tongue to the praise of Him, the praise of God, rather than to murmur against Him or to murmur against His providence or to sinfully criticize one another. The third thing for which David prays, he prays concerning the weakness of man. David prays in Psalm 39, verse 4, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is, notice here now, that I may know how frail I am. Death, more than anything else, dear ones, reveals to us our helplessness in rescuing ourselves. None of us can rescue ourselves from death. Quest for the fountain of youth and attempts to hold back the aging process are all ultimately doomed to failure. David says in Psalm 39.5, Verily every man at his best state is altogether vanity. He's empty. He's helpless. And again David says in Psalm 39.6, He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. The rich gather the, the wealth of the world, but they basically leave it to someone after them. The most powerful leaders of the ancient world who had armies, conquered nations, amassed riches, and gained worldwide renown had one weakness in common. They all died. They all died. They could not conquer death. They could not overcome that enemy of death. Dear ones, an intimate and personal recognition of our own weakness to rescue ourselves from death should drive us from placing confidence in ourselves. Whether to provide for our own necessities or confidence in our own works to provide for our own righteousness. Dear ones, we are helpless to save ourselves. We are doomed to die both physically and spiritually if we lean upon our own strength if we lean upon our own works of righteousness, if we lean upon our own wisdom, and it is that very earnest and urgent confession, I am weak, O Lord. I am flesh, O Lord. It is that confession that drives us out of ourselves and into the open arms of the Lord Jesus Christ who offers us everlasting life. Our fourth and last point. David prays, And now, Lord, what wait I for? 
My hope is in thee. The hope of man. Dear ones, David was brought to the renewed realization that his death was certain, his death was near, and he was powerless in himself to do anything about it. His only hope of life was in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. Because Christ lives, so shall we who have embraced him by faith. If he is able to raise himself from the dead, then it's certainly no problem for the Lord Jesus Christ to raise all of those from the dead who have placed their faith and trust in him alone for their eternal salvation. The Apostle Paul declared in 1 Corinthians 15:19, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If your hope is simply in this earthly life, if this is where you have banked everything that's going to, to help you and save you is in this earthly life, you're going to lose it all. You're going to lose it all. But if your hope and you have as it were, placed your faith, you have banked everything upon Christ. You've cast everything upon Christ that He is your only hope. You will gain everything. And you will lose nothing. So you see, dear ones, the question is not whether you will die. That is a certainty. The question is, in whom is your hope of life and of everlasting life. Is it in yourself? Is it in your parents? Is it in your church? Is it in your baptism? Or your pastor? Or any of your works of righteousness? Is your hope even in your faith itself? If it is, you will lose everything. But if your hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ and in His righteousness alone, you will gain everything. Everlasting life. And you will live even though you die. You may have seen on t-shirts or, or caps the little phrase, no fear. Dear ones, it is only the Christian who can truly say, no fear. With regard to death. For the sting of death has been removed for the Christian by the victorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The testimony of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55. In closing, dear ones, I want to just make a, an application 
of this truth in another sense. Separations and divisions within our church can seem like a death to us. They can be filled with such anguish and heartache and pain and sorrow. They may seem like we are dying a very slow death. I found myself this week in my own sorrow over what has recently happened as far as divisions within our church. I have found myself reflecting upon heaven more and more and more. Considering that there, there will be perfect unity amongst all God's people. Looking forward, should God allow me to see even the time of the millennium and his Christ's reign here upon the earth and bringing his church to ever greater degrees of unity. How I long for and how times like this cause me to reflect upon what the Lord has promised in regard to these matters too. But I want you to know, dear ones, that even with regard to these types of deaths, as it were, they are not an end in themselves. Even at this time, we ought to be praying to Christ who is the resurrection and the life. Even now, we ought to be casting all of our cares upon Him that He would raise up and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and the divisions that have occurred that He would cause them to end. And He is able to do so. Let us find ourselves, dear ones, on our hands and knees before God, calling out to Him that He would heal us, that He would raise us up, even in these most dire times, and that we would see Him afresh and anew in all of His glory as He who gives life, as He who works that which is impossible to man, let us cast ourselves upon our eternal, infinite, and almighty God and upon His grace and mercy who delights to do that which is beyond even our comprehension and our imagination. Amen. Let us stand together in prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, we praise Thee and thank Thee for the words of life that Thou hast given to us even as we contemplate our own death. For death is not the end of the story. Indeed, O Lord, life and everlasting life in Christ Jesus is that which we await. We praise Thee, our Father, for thine assurance from thy word, for thy presence, for thy spirits working in our lives and sealing these truths to, to our minds and our hearts. Help us, Father, to take these words, not to soon forget them, but, O oh Lord, to cherish them, to think upon them, 
today and every day as we begin our day and as we end our day. We pray, Lord, that this would be a means of sanctification in our lives and our growth in the grace and knowledge of Christ and not wasting our lives and spending our lives in foolishness. But, O oh Lord, living each day to Thy glory, enjoying to Thy glory all the good gifts which Thou hast given to us and seeking to promote Thy kingdom. We ask, Lord, these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.